Well, good morning. Welcome to Incarnation. My name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here. And we are continuing in this sermon series that we have called Imitate Me. And we've been talking about heroes of ours in the faith, people that we want to imitate. And the people that I'm going to talk about this morning are Madeline Langle and Lucy Shaw. They're both Christians. They're both lifelong Anglicans. They're writers and poets, and there are lots of things that I want to imitate about these women. And in fact, my shelves are quite full of their books. But the aspect of their lives that I'm going to talk about imitating today is actually their friendship. So Madeline Langle, if you don't recognize the name, you probably recognize her most famous book, A Wrinkle in Time. Raise your hand if you read this like in middle school or, yes, big show of hands. Uh, it's actually part of a very trippy, long theological sci-fi series that if you haven't read them all, I would highly recommend. And she has written dozens and dozens of other works of science fiction and regular fiction and poetry and essays and science and theology and all sorts of things. And then the other woman, whose book I don't have, is Lucy Shaw. She's a poet. She's about 10 years younger than Madeline. They had a little bit of a cross-generational friendship. She also served for a number of years as Madeline's publisher. But these two women were best friends for 35 years. Now, Madeline passed away in 2007. Lucy is 93 and very much alive. I think she is on a camping trip in New Zealand as we speak and she still serves communion to the homeless in San Francisco once a week. She is a very fruitful person. They've actually written quite a bit about their friendship, and although the cover of this book is kind of the epitome of bad 90s Christian publishing covers, and the graphic designer in me is a little bit embarrassed to hold it up, they wrote this beautiful book about what they called their spiritual friendship what they called their friendship in Christ. And they talk about the kinds of things that they did as friends, the ways they would pray together, the ways they would go away together and write and edit one another's works, the ways they hopped on planes and crossed the country so they could be together in times of deep grief and sorrow, in emergencies and traumas, in the loss of their husbands and their parents, the things that brought them fear and anxiety, they were there for one another. They talk about how meaningful it was for them to kneel together and break bread and drink wine and take communion, to be sisters in Christ at the altar. And they also talk about how they love to debate theology together and how wildly different their views were. And as Lucy would say, Madeline was a flaming theological liberal, and Lucy was quite a conservative. But they didn't see this difference in their theology as something that was ripping their friendship apart. They saw it as something that strengthened them both. They talk about the way that it rooted both of them more deeply in who God was, the way it expanded their understanding of God, their love for him, and their love for one another. And then the thing that they talk about most in this book is the way they made meals together all the time. They were cooking together, setting a beautiful table, and then inviting all kinds of people to come and eat. 
they tell this really funny story about a time they roasted tons and tons of garlic, and all they served was wine, roasted garlic, and baguettes. And then the next morning, Madeline turned to Lucy and said, that was delicious. Lucy said, yeah. She said, I didn't sleep a wink. I had terrible gas. And Lucy says, yes, me too. So theirs was a fellowship rooted in real life, delicious foods, but also the constraints of our bodies. And one of the things that I love that punctuates this book and interviews I've heard with them and other places I've encountered their friendship in their writings is that they would find themselves just spontaneously breaking into song at the end of a long day of writing or a long walk together or a particularly good meal, they would just somehow in sync begin singing the doxology. They would sing this hymn of praise to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is a reflection of the fact that they saw their friendship as an overflow of the friendship within the Trinity, the friendship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They saw their friendship flowing out of who God is in himself and then flowing into each of their own friendships with Jesus, their friendship with each other, and then out across that big table that they would set. And they often describe friendship as a widening circle, a circle that is always expanding, always making room for more. And it turns out this is actually a pretty common theme, although we haven't highlighted it, but throughout this Imitate Me series, there are these widening friendships. So um, last week, Liz talked about S and T, these friends of ours who have persevered and been faithful for generations in West Asia. And they talk about the key to that faithfulness, to that perseverance, is their friendships. It's their community of brothers and sisters who hold them up and support them. And then a few weeks ago, Quatley preached about Father Greg Boyle. I've got his book too. Uh, he actually lent me this book last week. It is hilarious. I highly recommend it. But Father Boyle ministers to gang members and felons on the streets of L.A., and he also talks about friendship as a widening circle. He talks about going out with the friendship of Jesus to people who think they are nothing, people who think they could not be further outside the circle of friendship with God, and bringing them in and making them the kind of friends that Weber read about in Proverbs. Friends that are like kinsfolk, closer than kinsfolk. Friends for adversity. Friends who really love them. And then a few weeks before that, I talked about Desmond Tutu and how he had this ministry of radical forgiveness that did such a work of healing in that country and how at the heart of that ministry was his steadfast faith in a Jesus who goes after his enemies and makes them his friends. And then if you remember way back at the beginning of this series, Katie Hamlin talked about Amy Carmichael, this missionary to India who never took a sabbatical, but 
Amy had a lifelong friend in another missionary woman, a painter named Lilius Trotter, who we've actually talked about, I think it was back in January, if you remember. So we start to see that in these people that we want to imitate, in these faithful lives of the saints across time, this thread of friendship, we see that friendship really is this widening circle so wide that it has reached and touched us here, and now it's brought us into it. And so we're going to start by looking at the very center of that circle, what our passage in John 15 talks about, is that the center of that circle is our friendship with God, our being brought into the friendship of the Trinity. So, John's gospel is probably the friendiest gospel. You might know that John calls himself the disciple Jesus loves, and he just really owns this identity as Jesus's friend. And so that might be why in John we get more pictures of Jesus as a friend, more of these just intimate moments of his friendship, like the way he's always hanging out and eating with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and the way he cries when his friend Lazarus has died and when Lazarus's sisters are just undone. And we also get this picture in John's Gospel of Jesus on the cross, looking down at John and his mother Mary and saying to Mary, this is now your son, and saying to John, this is now your mother. Jesus kind of ripping open the nuclear family bonds and forming this new kind of family rooted in friendship, rooted in their love of one another, not their blood relationship. And then it's John who gives us three full chapters, verses or chapters 14 through 16, of what's often called the table discourse. So after the Last Supper, after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, after Judas has left the room, they sit around the table and, according to John, do a lot of talking. And isn't that like the best part of meal with friends is when the food is gone and you just linger around the table and you get into the really deep stuff? That's what John's table discourse is about. And so the first part of that table discourse talks about the way that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit relate to one another. In John 14, in the start of chapter 15, we get our first glimpses of what Christians would eventually call the Trinity. We start to see the way Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this friendship. And we start to see that actually God himself, in the core of his being, is a friendship. He is this intimate, giving, generous relationship and then our reading from today comes to us right in the middle of this. In John 15, Jesus pulls us into that God friendship because he says, I have called you friends. And there are just a couple things from the passage that I want to highlight about this friendship with Jesus. The first one is sacrificial love. So Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
We become friends with God because Jesus dies for us. But then Jesus calls us into friendship with one another in a way that we die for one another too. So Christian friendship isn't a place where we just seek our own comfort and convenience, but where we really enter deeply into the suffering and sorrow and pain of our friends. It's costly. It's a call to die. And then secondly, this friendship is rooted in following Jesus' commands. Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. And I really liked the way one commentary I read this week put it. He said, the mark of loyalty between friends is that we take seriously what our friend takes seriously. And Jesus takes his commands really seriously. Jesus came teaching and demonstrating the way of love, the way of the cross, the way of the kingdom. And we show our friendship with him by living in that way, by doing his commands. And then finally, this friendship with Jesus involves intimate knowing. Jesus says, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I've heard from my father. So being called God's friend and not God's servant means we get in on the household secrets. It means we are drawn into this intimate kind of knowing God that Jesus himself experiences. It's this vulnerable, face-to-face, knowing and being known. And all of this forms the friendship that is at the center of the circle. Jesus brings us into the heart of the Trinity, into the friendship of God, and Jesus calls us friends. And we know that John really took these words to heart. We actually have evidence in his third letter, the book of 3 John, that the churches that John was discipling The Christians there actually referred to one another as friends of Jesus. It reminds me a little bit of when my daughter was a toddler and we would go to the playground, and when she would go to introduce herself to a new kid, she would say, hi, I'm Nadia, Elmo's friend. And it's a little bit like that. These Christians are so deeply identified with Jesus that they call themselves Jesus's friend. They say, hi, I'm Amy, Jesus' friend. Can you imagine living in your friendship with God that much? But friendship doesn't stay in this core. It is a widening circle. It begins in this friendship with God, but it grows. And the sad thing is we actually don't see a lot of this kind of widening circle of friendship in Christian churches. And I read my fourth book, going for a personal record here. Uh, I read the most beautiful book last week, this book, Spiritual Friendship. It's by one of my professors. His name is Wes Hill. And I've actually had the privilege of being just barely tucked into the edges 
of Wes's circle of friends. Because when I go up to seminary, I stay a couple houses down from him with two women who live in such a devoted Lucy and Madeline, but 70 years younger type of friendship with one another. And they take me in and serve me at their table. And they are part of this group of friends with West Hill and with married people and people with children and single people who are really committed to this friendship with Jesus. And Wes talks in his book about why, why we seem to have lost this ancient practice of being Jesus's friends, of exploring how far we can take that relationship, how deeply we can live that. And one of the things he talks about is this modern myth that the way to become most ourselves the way to really grow into who we are is to be free, to be independent of other people, to kind of keep a little bit of space. Now, I'm an introvert, and I like space, and I don't think there's any call on our lives to become extroverts or to just have unboundaried living. That's not what he's talking about. But I do buy into this myth a lot. And I notice that even in my closest spiritual friendship, with my friend Catherine, I often feel myself keeping her at arm's length. I just want to keep my options a little bit open. I don't want to fully invest in this friendship. I just want a little bit more autonomy, a little bit more freedom. But what I find when I resist that impulse, when I actually widen my circle to include Catherine, I am not diminished. I'm actually enlarged. I become more and not less of who God made me to be. I start to know myself as Amy, Catherine's friend, and as Amy, Jesus's friend, in a deeper way. And then Wes also talks about another modern myth that our most intimate relationships are our romantic ones which is kind of funny because Jesus was single. But Wes says that we, we take on this idea that romantic relationships are kind of the heart of intimacy. And from that, we kind of put marriage and the nuclear family, and I have both and I'm grateful for them. But on this pedestal, we kind of look at those as the center of the relational world of the Christian. But marriage and family is not the image that Jesus, our single savior, gives us in John 15. Jesus says that the way we image God's love for us and for one another is in our friendships. And so whatever our marital status, whatever our parental status, if we want to follow Jesus in this kind of friendship, we have to make space. So, true Christian friendship is this widening circle. The more we experience our friendship with Jesus, the more expansive our lives can become. And so I just want to ask you, if you already have really good, intimate Christian friendships, how might you widen them? How might you commit to them in a more intentional way? Are there ways you might be able to risk being more vulnerable, being more known, 
And if you're married or you have children, how might you crack open that nuclear family relationship so that there is more room for other people at the table, more room for friendships? How can we all keep our eyes out for people who are lonely and on the margins who really need a seat at our table? How can we keep widening this circle so that we can bring people into our friendships with Jesus? And then if you're someone who's thinking, I don't have any friends like that. I want them, but I don't have them. I want to say a few things. First, you are Jesus's friend. And second, that longing for human friendships and for human intimacy is a good and holy thing. That is part of how God made us in his image as a God who is friendship in his very being. And so I would encourage you, knowing that reality, to maybe take a brave step this week, to put yourself in places where friendships can be formed, maybe come to canopy chats, maybe come on a hike, maybe reach out to someone for a walk or a cup of coffee. And I would also encourage you to talk to Liz or talk to me. We love to bring people into our own circle of friendship with Jesus. We love to pray and long and hope with you there. So reach out to us. Well, Lucy and Madeline give us this picture of a widening circle, this expansive friendship. And throughout their book, they kind of have their own table discourse. They tell stories of so many meals around the table. So I actually wanted to close just reading the end of one of those meals where they have made something fantastic. They have invited all sorts of random and very different people to come and eat. And I'm just gonna read the conclusion. Around the table we sit, as the candles flicker and burn down. We share ideas, we share food, we share our sense of calling, affirming again that we are here to do God's will and praying we will be given the grace to discern what God's will is. Love, inclusion, compassion, openness, willingness to listen to new ideas, willingness to change, lamb and potatoes, bread and wine, enjoyed together in the understanding that all of life is a sacrament and we are companions. I thought we could close in a very Lucy and Madeline way by just singing the doxology. So if you know it, sing along. Feel free to drown out my voice. And you might want to close your eyes. Just enjoy being in the friendship of the Trinity for a minute. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father.